If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn it to James chapter 5. We're going to be in James chapter 5 this morning, verse 7. So go ahead and put your finger on that. And I want to just open our time in the Word this morning with a question. The question will be on the screen, I believe. What is your confidence? What is your confidence based on when you choose to be patient about anything in your life? Have you ever thought about that before? In small ways, medium-sized ways, and in big ways. What is your confidence for being patient based on? That is the question I want us to consider right now. So I'd love for you to think about it, especially as we get ready to look at our text, because James is going to talk all about patience this morning. And you are going to get an immediate application right now as I'm preaching to practice patience as you listen to someone preach. Our text in James chapter 5 verse 7 says this. You can read along with me. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another's brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. And you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord for how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Father, I just pray just very simply this morning that you help us to see where we have put our confidence, God, when we make any decision to be patient or to be impatient, God. And Father, as you have just given us your word, just very thankful for it, that it's a, it's a light unto our feet. And Father, I pray for those of us in this room this morning that you would lay heavy your encouragement and your conviction of where the center of our confidence is found we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing I want to do this morning is I just want to define patience for us, just to get us all on the same page. And Tim Keller has the best definition that I think there is, especially as it relates to the text that we are in this morning. It'll be on the screen before you. And I think his definition works really well. It says, patience is graciousness and steadiness in the face of delayed gratification. Patience is graciousness and steadiness in the face of delayed gratification. <laughs> and so what we see right away in our text is James is writing to brothers and sisters. We got to remember who James is writing to. James is writing to a group of people, Jewish Christians, early on in their faith who have been displaced from their original homes. They've been persecuted. And he's spent the past 
four chapters, writing to them in very specific ways, ways to follow the Lord versus ways to follow the world. And he's saying, listen, I want you to view your faith like a pair of shoes. This is what I've been talking about all the time. James is like dirty theology because our faith is like a pair of shoes and it's meant to be worn and lived in, right? You wear your shoes out. You wore them out this morning. And they got dirty because you walked on the sidewalk or on the parking lot or into the school or even into the bathroom. Why? Because that's what your shoes are meant to do, right? And so our faith in a very similar way, James writes in very specific ways, is the, has the ability to weather all of the things that life brings about to it. Hardships, difficulties, suffering, it's meant to weather those things. And so he's very practical and he's been walking through in this past several weeks, we've worked through a lot of warnings that James has given to us. And then we come to where we are today where he says, therefore, be patient. Therefore what? He just finished saying that don't look for wealth to be your God. Don't look for your confidence to be in yourself. Don't look to the world for your trust and for your security. He says to be patient now, brothers, therefore. It's like James is giving this big exhale. He's done all these warnings. And now he says, be patient. Be patient. And James is going to show us three ways and three places that our patience is going to be tested. And the three places that we're going to see in this text is it's going to be tested in our everyday lives. It's going to be tested in our relationships with one another. And it's going to be tested when we face suffering. So look at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So James has warned us about not treating others with partiality. He said, watch our words. He said, listen, be aware of jealousy and selfish ambition in your own heart. Be careful about the anxiety of living for the world, money and power. And now he says, in a very broad sense, he's saying like, listen, hey, be patient. And this word patience, the Greek word for this, it really means long suffering. It's enduring. Be long suffering, brothers and sisters. The word also in the Greek has this really amazing, distinct relational reality to it. It's, it's actually showing God's relationship to the earth. How patient is God? How long-suffering is God with the, with the earth, with the, the people that he has made, where he is, he is slow to anger? And he's saying that, he uses that same word, that God is long-suffering, and so therefore you should be long-suffering as well. So there's a relational dynamic that we should see in James' call to us to be long-suffering. And as I was thinking about what does this mean for our life? What does it mean in everyday life for us? Why has is, why is James put this in here? There's been some studies that have been done all throughout the past decade, and they have shown this idea of this, this, this space called the middle ground. And just very briefly, what I want to say is the way that the studies would say, be like, okay, here's, here's, here's me, here's you, we have a desire, we have an expectation, and here's where we actually want to be. Here's happiness, and here's the desired outcome that we want. And then here's this middle ground. And studies have shown over the course of decades now in our relationships with one another, in our ability to persevere, there is no longer, no, there's no middle ground anymore. Meaning, if I want something, and something happens that I don't get what I want, I'm in an immediate crisis. And many of these studies have said that's a large reason why we can look at the anxiety that we have that's skyrocketed 
all around us. And many of us in this room, myself included, wrestle with anxiety. Why is that? And this study would say, like, hey, there's no longer a middle ground here anymore. And I was thinking about this, and this is really helpful for our, our discussion from James, talking about what does patience look like in our everyday lives. I coach my daughter's soccer team. And I have this one player on this team, and this happens every week. And as I was reading this, I was like, oh my goodness, here's a perfect example. Here's a mirror for my life as well. And maybe you'll uh, track with this. This, girl, this, this player, she's really good, and she has this desire that she wants to excel in the sport. And so what happens is every practice and every game, she's really good. But then the moment a difficulty comes, there's a mistake either by her or from the team, she loses it. She's inconsolable. She walks off. She moves around. She, she leaves the playing field. And as her coach, I'm always trying to go, well, hold, see the middle ground? I'm trying to go, hey, there is actually a middle ground that exists in our life, which is James is going to get back to says, like, hey, that's okay that it's hard. That's okay that there was a mistake. That's okay that there was difficulty getting to where you actually want to be. And I want to encourage her to say, like, hey, you've got to work through that. You have to have what? Patience with yourself, and with those around you. And that's what James is really hitting at right here. And he's having to say, like, remember our definition? It's graciousness and steadiness in the face of delayed gratification. And just like the player on my soccer team, I can look at that in my own life and go, oh, wow, there's places where that rings true for me as well. And James says, be careful, be patient. Let there be a middle ground, right? We live in a time that also, I think, helps press against this desire for a middle ground, this patience space, don't we? <laughs> I was thinking about this, and I love this, and probably you do too. But a lot of our culture pushes to say, no, no, immediate gratification, right? But we said patience is what? Steadiness and graciousness in the face of delayed gratification. And then there's Amazon. <laughs> there it goes, out the window. See ya. I can't wait for these jeans to come Tuesday. I need them Monday. One click. I don't want delayed gratification. I want it now. I'm thankful for the drones that they're coming up with that'll drop toothpaste at my door immediately, right? Within five minutes. I don't want to wait. I don't want a middle ground. Here's me, and here's my desire, and I want it. James says, be patient. And this is the world we swim in. I mean, businesses, y'all are businessmen and women. Businesses go out of business if they can't beat someone else and getting that quicker and faster, right? And I'm not saying that's entirely bad, but that is the place that we live in. Bigger, better, faster, quicker. And James is probing very deep for us in this very specific section. Like, what does that look like in our lives here? I was just thinking about myself and you guys. Be patient in our everyday lives. I was thinking about the moms and dads in this room who are parenting. And whatever stage of parenting you're in, you look at your children. I know I do this. And I want my kids to be at a certain space, spot right now. We've tried to disciple them. We try to teach them. We try to help them with their social interactions with one another. And then the moment that that doesn't, that, that expectation doesn't get fulfilled, I get impatient. 
And maybe you guys struggle in a similar way, moms and dads in this room. Whether you have kids in your home now, or maybe some of them have moved on, and you're still in that spot. I don't know, it might be a spiritual impatience of going, man, I, I long for my child to be where I think they need to be. And there's your everyday reality of going, Lord, I'm impatient. And yet James says, what? Be what? Be patient. I was thinking about those of you who have jobs and you're every day showing up to work and you're like, I've been doing, I've been faithful, I've been honoring the Lord in my job week after week, month after month, year after year. And why did that person get promoted and I didn't? They actually cut corners. They actually threw people under the bus. They, X, Y, and Z. God, what in the world? Or maybe even some of the single folks in our congregation. Lord, my desire is that you would bring along a relationship in my life. I've been faithful to you. I've been clinging to you. I've been longing for this. I've been praying. Every other people have been praying, Lord, what in the world? Why is it happening in all these other places? And we can tend to what? Veer towards impatience. And what is James' example he gives us? He says, look at the farmer who sows the seed. And then what does he do? He waits. He's patient for the early rains and the late rains. He has no control over what God does or doesn't do. But he waits on the Lord. Be patient. That's the example. That's the illustration that James gives you and me. Establish our hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient. Our patience is going to be tested in relationships too. Look at verse nine. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Friends, there is no relationship on planet earth that doesn't require patience. That means a lick, does it? But enter Amazon again. I'm sure, and I'm gonna put myself first, not assume, if they had a one click for deep relationships that mattered and were significant, I'd probably click the one click, wouldn't you? Absolutely. There's a prevailing wind that blows in our culture as well as it comes to relationships. Remember that middle ground I was talking about? Here's me, here's my desired expectation in my relationship, and then I hit conflict or struggle or frustration. And in our culture, what are we primed to do often when we hit those things in our relationships with one another? Are we encouraged to be patient or are we encouraged to be impatient? He says, do not grumble. Have you looked at the comments section recently on anything, anywhere? James' word for grumble is this moaning about other people. It's talking about other people. It's complaining about other people. In our relationships, when we are impatient, what do we start to do immediately? We grumble. Do not grumble against one another. James says, there is a middle ground in your relationships. James knows that we're gonna experience things like disappointment, 
with one another. James knows that we're going to experience pettiness with one another in our relationships. And James knows that we're going to experience the insensitivity of one another over and over again, right? I mean, that is, that is exactly what happens to us. Disappointment. You said you would do this, but you didn't. And now what do we immediately do? We grumble and go, you're not dependable. Or then the pettiness is like, I can't believe so-and-so didn't text me back. What a jerk. Maybe we don't say that out loud, but I'll mumble that. I've done that before. I've done that before. How, how could that person not have responded so quickly? Or pettiness. Can you believe what so-and-so just said? How ignorant. But in order to preserve any relationship that's meaningful in our lives, when we come up against things like this, we are going to have to have, and this is what James is saying, you've got to have a middle ground to operate from with one another. Otherwise, we're going to be what? Sorely disappointed and potentially really lonely in the world, right? How many of us would wither under our own standards if they were turned on ourselves? James points out this middle ground is patience with one another, which then means we don't grumble against one another. I want to pull up 1 Peter 4, 8. When we think about this middle ground in relationships and patience within relationships, 1 Peter 4, 8 says this, and it's on the screen behind me. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And I wish this was bolded out. Since love covers a multitude of sins. And the next verse says, show hospitality to one another without what? Grumbling. This middle ground James and Peter speak of is love and patience. I think a symptom that James shows us of impatience in relationships is, are you grumbling about somebody? That would be a symptom, James says, of impatience in your life. Talking behind their back, and not being curious with them. What James and Peter have to say in regards to patience and love and relationships is actually really foundational to our ministry philosophy here at Grace Hill. And, and so I just want to just take that time to say, as James writes about what patience looks like in our relationships with each other, it's exactly what our philosophy is based on here. At Grace Hill, what we believe is you have to have the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to. Jesus has come. He lived and died and resurrected, and he has forgiven us of our sins. All of the things we are guilty of, all of the things that we should have been condemned for, he has said, I will, I will save you, I will set you free, and I will now give you a new life and a new purpose in me. So we have the gospel. That is the foundation of everything we do here. But the second part of this is where James comes in and helps undergird what we mean, is we have this thing called time. We believe in time for me and for you, and that we have all the time in the world for one another, literally all the time in the world until Jesus comes back. That's how much time we have with one another. And what does that mean? It means we give space for one another to be in process, to grow in what the gospel actually does, the fruit that the gospel bears in our lives. It takes time. And then what does time then bring about? It brings about safety. 
safety for you and me to be in process, to not get it all right all the time, to mess up, but then to have this space to come back, ask for help, ask for forgiveness, and then because we have time in the gospel, man, we get to, real, we get to really experience transformation, not just in our lives, but to see it in other people's lives. That all is predicated on what, James says, patience and relationships. No Amazon one clicking for that, guys. I know you said amen to that. I wish we had it. We don't. James lays out patience between God and us and each other. This leads to the third place that we see in our text this morning. Suffering. Verses 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James tells us that our patience will be tested when we are faced with suffering. People might be like, well, that's true. Who here likes suffering? Who here is patient with suffering? Who wants to be patient with suffering? James says, These examples, and he gives us two examples. These are very interesting examples. He says, the prophets and Job. Why are they there? His readers, the readers of his letter would very well be acquainted with the prophets of the Old Testament. You and I have a little bit more distance than they do. But these would have been people who they were very familiar with their words, who the prophets were and what they were about. These prophets would, as he said, speak in the name of the Lord. But how did they distinguish who the prophets were? If you know the book of Jeremiah, you'll know that Jeremiah is prophesying and he's giving a hard word to Israel. And then if you read in that book, there's all these other prophets who start saying, no, 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 everything's going to be good. There's going to be no famine. You're not going to be taken to the sword. Everything's going to be fine. And Jeremiah looks to the Lord. He goes, what in the world, God? They're saying this and you told me that. What do I do? And God says, they do not speak for me. And the prophets One of the main ways that you got to distinguish who the true prophets of the Lord were, were those who endured suffering and hardship. Line up any of the prophets. And James knows his readers would be very well acquainted with who these people were and the things that they had to endure for the sake of Jesus Then James mentions Job. Job used to be one of my favorite books until I grew up a little bit, and then I was like, it's one of my least favorite books because I was so afraid of having to go through even a tenth of what Job goes through. Job is shown as one who endured, who had patience in the midst of suffering. I don't have time to go through that whole reality, but Job literally lost every single thing that was precious to him, almost everything. Physically, spiritually, he lost it all. And it's no accident that James puts Job in as a person for them to look to. And you know what? We remember their context. What a pastoral moment for James to to mention Job. It would be like me talking to each one of you who are going through unimaginably difficult things because of your faith right now. You're being persecuted. You're having to move from your home. And I have to say, hey, remember Job? And then you all and we all would go, oh, yeah, 
I can relate to that. And he says, look at Job. He too had to be patient under unbelievable, painful circumstances. And this would have been an encouragement to those people listening to reading James' letter at that time. To trust that the Lord is worth it. Trust that it's good to be patient in the midst of the pain and the struggle. But I want to read something from Job 23 real quick. And I don't want us to have this view that Job was this like mega man, superman guy that could just take on, give me all the pain in the world and I'm good. No, 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 no. That would be a wrong interpretation of what Job was like. James is not pressing us to be patient by being stoic or unemotional to say it doesn't matter. Listen to Job. Job 23, verse 8 through 10. Behold, this is Job talking, I go forward, but he's not there. I go backward, but I don't perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I don't behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. And then verse 10. But he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Job. Job complains. Job, Job, Job cries out to God in many, many different places. Job can't see God in the midst of his struggles. Do you hear the pain and frustration in Job's voice? Have you imagined that in your spot where you're going like, I'm in the middle of this suffering right now and I, I, I don't see you behind me. I don't see you in front of me. I work here, but I don't see you there. I go here, but I don't see you there. Can we relate to that? Yes, every one of us can if we've been in a difficult suffering season. We know what those words are like. But here's the difference in verse 10. Job then, which is why he is our example, and he's helped us to see what we're supposed to do with this patient. But Job then says, he, God knows the way that I take. I can't see God, but God sees me. I can't see him here, but he knows I'm there. I can't see him here, but he knows I'm there. And here's the deal. Once he has finished testing me, I will come out as gold. Job says that before he has any idea what God will or won't do in his life. I shall come out as gold. Job can endure and suffer and have patience because he is aware of three things for us. And I'm gonna say them very quickly. One, Job knows that God has allowed suffering, but he's in control. That he's working in the suffering, meaning suffering's not in vain. And then three, that there is a purpose Job knew all of those things, even in the midst of the difficulty and the pain and the suffering. So we see three places where we're tested with having patience, our everyday lives, our relationships, and in our suffering. And that brings me back to the question that I asked at the beginning. What is your confidence based on when you choose to be patient in any area of your life? What is it? James says, the answer to that question for a Christian is our confidence is based in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus 
has been patient with us and he's patient for us. Our confidence and being patient in anything in our life is based on Jesus who has been patient with us and he has been patient for us. And so if you look at verse eight, what are we supposed to establish our hearts in? That very truth, understanding that our confidence is in Jesus who has been patient with us and been patient for us. What do I mean by Jesus has been patient for us? Look at Hebrews 12, verse two. The sermon in Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. That is the same word that James uses all throughout this text. The same one, that Jesus was patient for us. Jesus endured for us. He took on sin and shame. He took on everyday life. He took on relationships with one another. And he also took on suffering himself. And he endured in our place for us because we couldn't do it. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the patient one. That is who our hope and our confidence is in. And any decision to be patient or impatient, big or small, is Jesus trustworthy? There's another way to even interpret those words of enduring. It means to stand firm. Jesus is the one that stood firm for us. Jesus was the one in the midst of all those temptations. Do you remember the cup that he prayed to pass in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was tempted. Let this cup pass. Ah, I don't want to endure this. Nevertheless, he says, he stood firm for us. He was patient for us. He took on the punishment. He was crucified for us when he had no reason that he needed to be patient. He had done nothing wrong, but he did that for us. And he's patient with us. Look at Romans 2, 3 through 4, what Paul writes. Paul says, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? What is Paul telling us? The same thing that James is saying. Jesus is patient with us too. Jesus gives us time and space. When we don't get it right, what does he do? Does he rebuke us in the sense of being condemned? No, he says, I've forgiven you. Stand back up. Take on my yoke for it's light and it's easy. I'll give you rest. And we get a chance to take the next step again. What, what about when we're petty with Jesus? Like, yeah, no, no, I'm gonna go do this. I'm gonna look at this online instead of doing the other thing. Does, does, he, does he damn us to hell? Or does he give us the kindness to go, oh Lord, I've sinned again against you? And does he not show us patience? 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Our confidence in being patient, friends, what James is saying, no matter what we're going through, is, is rooted in a confidence in Jesus who was patient for us and he's patient with us. And then what does that allow us to do? It allows us to look ahead. And that's what we see in those verses. Jesus is standing at the door. What does that mean? The scriptures over and over again point to a coming of Christ. That not only is he with us now and this time, but there's a day that he's coming back and that our hope and our confidence is in Christ and as we look ahead to know that this isn't it. So we can be patient in the midst of our struggles. There will be a day when every tear will be wiped away. Nothing will be wasted and everything that we will have wanted we will gain for when we are finally face to face with the Lord. And this is what it means when he says establish our hearts today. That the patience that Jesus has for us and with us, it's a lot like a door, right? What does it mean to have patience? What does it mean to be connected with Christ? What does a door need for it to actually work? It needs a hinge. Otherwise, it's just wood or metal standing against a wall. But when it's connected to the hinge, it's able to flow freely. It's connected to the source upon which it's able to actually do the thing it's being called to do. And that's the same thing with our patience. Our patience is, is like the door. And Christ himself is the hinge. And so we can be patient when we look to him and we look ahead. He's standing at the door. His coming is near. We don't know when that will be. Nothing in the scriptures can tell us exactly when that will be, but it's soon. And we know that when that comes, every tear will be wiped away so we can endure now trusting in Christ. See, friends, I think we try to muster our own strength and wisdom to navigate our life, our relationships, and our suffering oftentimes. And just thinking, what does that look like for us in those examples, especially as a non-believer? I'm just curious for anyone in the room who doesn't believe or follow Christ, like, what is it that you put your hope in? Who do you put your hope in when you're seeking to be patient? What's that based on? What hope do you have for a future that, that sacrificing or enduring hardship now will produce anything in the future? The Christian view of patience is rooted in a second coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Which is why in our everyday lives when we are struggling, not knowing what's going to happen. Moms and dads, we don't know what will happen with our kids. We can try really hard to be faithful. But there's a part of that where we have to trust the one who has been patient for us and with us. That he is at work even when we can't see it. Just like Job said. I don't know what's in front. I don't know what's behind. I don't know what's to my left or my right. But you know. And when you finish testing me, I will be gold. That's the promise. We, the Christian view, the Christian thought, the Christian belief has a promise ahead and it's rooted in a person and it's rooted in its second coming. And so in our jobs, I don't know if you will get the promotion you want. We will pray for that. 
But to be patient, to trust the Lord, to continue to be faithful in those things, even though you can't see him at work in that, he can see you at work trusting him. And he's building something in you now that will help you to trust him more now. And you get promised that you won't miss anything. So the, the, the future comes, every tear will be wiped away, and you'll have more than you could imagine. And it's the same thing for my single friends in the room. What does it look like to trust to be patient in this season. I don't know if God has someone for you. We pray that he might, and he might. But in those seasons, what does it look like for you and for us to encourage you to be patient is to look to Jesus. He has been patient for you, and he's patient with you now in the season. And if you know you can't see him, where are you, God? I've been praying for 10 years, and nothing seems to be happening. Don't pull out the seed that you've already planted. That's the illustration. Don't pull it out. Let the early rains come, and trust the late rains will come as well. Jesus will come. And what I can say is that Jesus promises that none of us will miss anything ever. And I don't know any more confidence or hope to put, it, put our trust in than that. And I want to close with another portion of Scripture. And I just want it, it'll be on the screen. And I want us to, to think about this as we spend our last bit of time together responding through song this morning. As we look at Jesus, who's been patient for us and with us, and that is the strength for us to have patience now. But we also look ahead. Listen to what Paul says, and I'm going to close with this. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That is you and me if we're in Christ. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves what James writes into. Who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. And that's just what Job writes. I can't see you, God, but I know you see me. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Heavenly Father, patience is really hard, God. We know it's not just merely waiting at a traffic light for someone to to move because they're on their phone, though that's frustrating. Lord, we're all... We're all living this life every day. Lord, we're living our lives in ways where we're, trust, where we're tempted to either be impatient 
Lord, to have patience. Lord, we're all in relationships in some way, shape, or form that we're tempted to be patient or impatient in our relationships with one another. And Father, all of us to one degree or another at some point will face suffering. And again, the temptation to either be patient or impatient, God. So Lord, as we've just sat under your word this morning, Father, I pray that we would just ask that question this week, any time, Lord, that we sense irritation well up in us, whether it's in our situation in life, being a mom or a dad or working at our jobs or in the relationships that we have or the relationships that we long to have, God. I pray, Lord, in those spaces where we're tempted to, to grumble towards you, to you or to our other people, Lord, I pray that in that, God, we would be reminded of your incredible, perfect patience with us. And Lord, that is the sermon in Hebrews tells us that we would look and remember you, Jesus. You were patient for us. And in that place, God, that we would find the strength to trust you again, knowing that you have endured the cross on our behalf, Lord. And God, that you're continuing to be patient with us until you come back. And so, Lord, wherever we are, whatever we're going through, God, that we have the choice to believe in you, to trust you, and to receive your strength by looking to you and knowing there is one day, one day you will return. And that is soon, that you're, you're in the doorway. You're near so God, I just ask, would you help us to be a people that would be patient with one another? Or would you help us to be patient with those around us who don't know you? Because God, you've been patient with us. You're eternally patient with us, God. What grace. We thank you in Jesus' name.